My soon-to-be wife is amazing. I love her so much. I'm very excited to move from fiance to wife. Um, and I'm just really grateful for Corey. If you're listening out there, um, know that I love you and I just can't wait to do life with you. Hey, you folks, and welcome to Brown and Out. Today, we're talking with Bianca Bello. How are you today, Bianca? I'm doing quite well. You know, it's pretty cold today. I woke up this morning and the temperature was 12 degrees and the feels like was zero. So I fully intend on staying inside today and tomorrow. Okay. That's a weekend. Yes. Keeping it cozy. I appreciate that. That's wonderful. Yeah. We're going through a bit of a cold snap here in Vermont. Um, Speaking of Vermont, um, <laughs> I know that you are are not from Vermont originally, but but somewhere nearby. Can you tell us a bit about that? I was born in Hudson, New Hampshire, a relatively small town about an hour north of Boston. And I lived there with my family until I turned 18. And when I turned 18, I moved to Boston. So would you say that Hudson, New Hampshire had a bit of uh, what we would know as Boston culture to it? Or how would you describe the culture there growing up? Uh, the community in Hudson is pretty homogenous. It's a um, very white-centered um, town. Going to Boston was honestly a breath of fresh air. And for the first time, I was not a racial minority um, and was really just able to step out of my comfort zone or into a new comfort zone for myself and was really able to do some important um, self-identity work and self-reflection. Um, so I think physically leaving Hudson gave me the space and time to step into my own. A seaside town, is it, Hudson? Is it like, uh, is it, am I right? Or am I thinking of Hampton? <laughs> <laughs> like, I think I'm thinking of a different H in New Hampshire. Yeah, not Hampton. Um, Hudson is southern central. Southern New Hampshire in the center most part, I guess, kind of towards the middle. And it was homogenous, as you say. Is Did you find it stifling? I mean, uh, how did you find it? You know, growing up, I really... Being the only one was really the norm. I remember going to like dance classes and you know, taking gymnastics or recreational basketball. And it was the norm for me to be the only one in most spaces. Um, I am from a large mixed family. Uh, my family is really blended, comprised of biological siblings, half siblings, foster siblings, as well as heart siblings. Um, my heart siblings are people who I grew up with that uh, were really close. So my household was my 
biological parents and I have a biological brother, I have a half brother, and then several foster siblings um, and several siblings that I'm not blood related to, but that really function as part of my core, my, you know, the central part of my family is just really blended. And that really sustained me through my childhood. Um, Those were and are my people. Um, So while I was often leaving the home and going to um, predominantly white spaces, I always had home to fall back on. um, And that was really refreshing. And um, you talk about being the only one in a lot of spaces um, in New Hampshire. And I'm wondering if you're just referring to, you know, your Blackness or also your queerness as well. Was that a factor then? It's a really good question. Um, So growing up, I would say like most salient for me was my racial identity as a young black woman. Um, I didn't step into my queerness until I was an undergraduate. Um, I didn't come out until I was about 19 or 20. Um, And I would say most of my childhood, I didn't know that I was queer. Um, It didn't feel like an option to be anything other than straight, but I had never explored that aspect of my identity. So it didn't feel as salient until I left home, moved to Boston, and then was really able to um, explore other aspects of myself in addition to my racial identity. And I feel like for you, Boston was really like um, that oasis kind of in a way that represented that. And I feel like I've heard that um, sentiment from other folks peers of ours um like in the same generation who who've grown up in new england and that is like you know a queer mecca a multicultural mecca um and so let's just go go take us to boston and tell us yeah what what it was for you what it represented about your time there yeah I want to answer that, but first, I think it'd be helpful for me to kind of give some context as to how I got to Boston. Um, So my older brother and I were first-generation high school graduates in our family, Um, and so college wasn't something that was talked about in our home. Um, I really had a hard time growing up thinking beyond high school. Um, High school just felt like this really daunting hurdle to get over. Um, And it was really challenging in a lot of ways. Um, I'd say high school really challenged me uh, mentally and emotionally. Um, And my older brother, who I consider one of my heroes, one of my people, um, he was so determined to leave Hudson, New Hampshire and to step out of that net or that nest and um, explore something different. And he had several friends going to Boston to Suffolk University, um, and he truly believed and um, desired or aspired to to join them in Boston. And um, our mother was really quite worried or anxious about the cost and um, preferred that he stay close to home. Um, And he really pushed back on that. And I really credit him for that, for 
um, you know, standing his ground and standing in his truth and doing what he felt called to do for himself. Um, and when it came time for me to grad nearing graduation, thinking about what was next, um, my older brother, Patrick, and I had a lot of conversations about what was next for me. And I hadn't thought at all about college. Um, the short thought or the times that I did think about college, I just thought maybe I would go to a community college, commute from home, um, home felt safe. Um, and I didn't know any different. Um, and my mom was very supportive of me staying home and staying close to the family. Um, and our family had and has more of a collectivist mentality. So um, helping one another and just really showing up for each other is um, a big value of my mom's. And Patrick really pushed me to um, leave Hudson, New Hampshire, and really encouraged me to see beyond that town. Um, and it was really important for him to leave and also important for me to leave as well. Um, and I'm really grateful that he um, pushed and supported me in that way. I remember on, I believe it was in January, it was like one of the last days to apply early admission to Suffolk. And my brother helped me with the application and we submitted it. And um, I just, I felt really nervous, but also felt empowered in that moment. And um, really started to see beyond our small town. Um, and I joined Patrick at Suffolk in Boston um, the next fall and um, was just really grateful to be at a four-year institution. I felt really blessed um, and I still feel really blessed to um, have that cultural capital and to have had those experiences. Um, but if it wasn't for Patrick, I don't know if I would have done it or I don't know if I would have done it in the same way. Thank you um, for sharing that. And um, that's wonderful. Where's Patrick now? What's he up to? Patrick lives in Philadelphia. He is one of the smartest people I know. Um, he works at a company called Phoenix and he is a business consultant there um, and he absolutely loves it. Um, he's thriving, doing really well. And um, let's say today he's still one of my closest people and um, someone that I call weekly to check in with and to ask questions. Um, and yeah, I really just have continued to lean on him in a lot of ways. And I think I've been able to reciprocate that um, in my 20s. Wonderful. That's awesome. I mean, we should all be so lucky to have a Patrick in our life. Um, so back to Boston. We are there. It is shaping. It is forming. You're at Suffolk. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I had, a, I had a really positive experience. Um, the school is in the heart of Boston. So um, I was really in the, in the middle of a really big city and that was really exciting for me. I um, really quickly got involved on campus and um, was a student leader. I was an RA. I was an orientation leader. Um, it started because I needed a job um, and then it also put me on a path. Um, I really enjoyed learning about leadership, finding my leadership style, finding my voice. 
Um, and so these work study type jobs that were sustaining me financially also um, really helped me grow as a person and as a college student. Um, and then also put me on a track um, in student affairs. I, when I left Boston, I moved to Colorado where I did my master's in higher education. Um, and so Boston was just kind of the hub of my growth. And then it kind of um, put me on another path um, and helped me obtain a master's degree. So I'm also very grateful for. So you, you made the big move out west um, <laughs> to Denver, Colorado? Uh, I was about an hour north of Denver in a town uh, called Fort Collins. Oh, oh, you should have just said, yes, Fort Collins, by all means. I've spent a night in Fort Collins, of course, yes. Um, <laughs> we, can, we can tell that story later. Um, we can definitely tell that story later. So, but I'm curious about how did you find um, the culture in Boston uh, different than a Fort Collins, Colorado? Uh, pros, cons? Uh, I would say a, a benefit to being in the city was just having access to so many different resources, organizations. Um, that's where I first dabbled in activism. Um, I remember interning at Mass Equality in Boston. Um, and when I was there, I was working with a group of activists and we were um, making calls to um, folks in Maine. When, but this was before Maine had passed marriage equality. Uh, so I remember being on the ground with folks in Boston doing that work. And so um, I found the community really rich in that I was able to dabble in a lot of different spaces. And um, yeah, I, I think access was huge too, you know, just the ability to connect with people, to, to get around, um, having public transportation um, so readily accessible. Um, yeah, I found that really rich and just such a huge benefit for me at that time in my life. Um, Fort Collins, also had a positive experience, um, also found myself drawing connections between um, the city of Fort Collins and Hudson, New Hampshire, where I grew up, um, and just kind of like the Northeast bubble. Um, yeah, Fort Collins is a predominantly white community. Fort Collins was um, another place of growth for me, although it looked a bit different at the time. I feel like stepping into grad school and connecting with uh, peers in my cohort. I was part of a cohort that was about 17 and we became really close. And my cohort was really racially diverse, um, queer. I just felt like there were a lot of intersecting identities in that space. And so that was like a really um, healthy bubble that held me during my time in Fort Collins. So I often felt that when I stepped out of that bubble in the city, I was again, the only one or just examining my racial identity, my queerness and where I fit in the community, um, but always was retreating back to that bubble um, for connection and for healing and for opportunities for laughter and joy. 
Um, and that the group of friends that I made in grad school in Fort Collins really sustained me during that time in my life. Uh, also, for the first time, I felt like I was able to even further examine my identities in the world and ways in which I experience oppression and ways in which I, um, I guess, just in general, examine who I am and how I show up in the world or how I am treated or not treated. Um, I felt like I obtained language for the first time and I was able to attach language to some of my experiences and that was new for me. Um, yeah, so I think I was more intellectually stimulated um, in a way that helped me um, normalize my experiences and um, yeah, I guess just make sense of how I was navigating the world. So at this time, um, you're in school and you're working towards which degree? So my undergrad was in um, sociology. I got a Bachelor of Arts in sociology and I got my Master's of Science in student affairs and higher education. Did you have an idea of where you wanted to take that knowledge? at this time? Did you think about staying in Colorado and settling, for lack of a better word, there? Um, Yes and no. I mean, I went to grad school right out of undergrad, and I feel blessed that I made that decision because I think it would be harder to go back now, although I believe I could do it. Um, So when I was choosing uh, a program for grad school and um, you know, location and whatnot. I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do, although having um, leadership opportunities in undergrad um, put me on the student affairs track. I wasn't totally sure. Um, While in Fort Collins, Colorado, I worked in international student services um, and worked really closely with international students um, studying at Colorado State. And when I neared graduation, my primary objective was employment. <laughs> um, I was looking for benefits. I was looking for a paycheck and, of course, wanted purposeful work. And I wanted employment that felt meaningful. But I was really desperately um, applying to jobs. I think I applied to like 60 jobs. Um, and I was pretty open and flexible in terms of um, geographic location and type of work. Um, although I just really hope for it to be meaningful, uh, which is how I ended up in Utah. (laughs) Some may say I was desperate. You know, I was flexible. I'm, I'm obsessed with this next chapter (laughs) and where it's going because uh, I, yeah, Utah, I find, I mean, as fascinating as any other place, but the Mormons run that state, right? Oh, yes. Um, I, for the first time, was part of a Mormon dominant culture. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I had to learn a thing or two about about Mormonism and about things that trigger Mormons. Um, Yeah, like, I remember coffee and tea. Yeah, just, you know, like sitting in a meeting and, you know, people just look at you and you pull out your Starbucks or, you know, your Coca-Cola. Um, so it was, it was a unique 
experience or challenge. Uh, I was, I went to Utah knowing that I wouldn't be there long. I, I had the mindset of getting a few years of work experience, um, making the best of the situation and the location. Um, and then I knew I was out. So I, and for, there was no point in my decision to, to live in Salt Lake City. There was no point in that decision making where I, I thought this was home. Um, but I was like, this is going to be an interesting adventure. Um, and I did, you know, I, looking back, I remember feeling really isolated when I got there. Um, I've somehow always managed to find the widest, coldest places to live. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I do remember feeling really isolated and feeling really lonely and trying to find community. Um, and maybe about a year into my time there, I discovered a queer community in Salt Lake that was really tight and close knit. Um, and there, I feel like there was like the dominant Mormon culture. And then there was like this counterculture of queer folks who were um, thriving and really drawn to community and connection. And I really felt held by that community. Um, I feel like people had each other's back. Um, and yeah, I had never really experienced that before with regards to my queer identity. So that was kind of a breakthrough for you in Salt Lake City. As yeah. far as finding a tight-knit queer community, too. Yeah, I, I believe so. Um, yeah, I, I found some really, I found some close friends. I think maybe there was something to be said about my age, too. You know, like, as I moved through my 20s, I felt more comfortable within myself within my own, you know, queer identity, which allowed me to, to be, to live more out and open and to um, be more comfortable making connections or showing up at queer spaces in the community. So I talk about leaving campus and leaving my cohort and going off into the community, but I also really want to just highlight how much my cohort provided for me. Um, they were and very much still are my family and having that solid group of loving, open, fun, glamorous people in my life, um, just allowed me to come into my own, but also to go forth and, um, take on other or tackle other opportunities, um, even following grad school and the people that I met, Tolu, Whitley, Jeffrey, y'all know who you are. Um, yeah, they have just, they've been in my corner um, ever since they came into my life during that time period. And I'm just so grateful to have grown my family um, while I was at CSU and um, ever since. Okay. So you said you knew that you would not be there for long and and that was indeed true yeah i i lived in salt lake city uh for about two years and i worked at the university of utah um i enjoyed the work that i was doing i worked one-on-one -on -one with college students um to explore how the university could best support them and their you know through their unique journey um and I did enjoy that work. I loved working small in small groups with college students. I loved working one-on-one. -on -one. I loved the age group. Um, but 
after two years in Utah, I was ready for something different. Um, I also went through a breakup, which we don't have to get into that. Um, but yeah, that really pushed me to um, apply for positions in the Northeast. I was hoping to be closer to family, but not too close. Um, <laughs> so I was looking with like, you know, three to eight hours driving distance from uh, my mom and some of my siblings in New Hampshire. Um, and yeah, I again applied to several jobs and was just kind of dabbling in what was out there. And um, I found myself in Vermont. Welcome. Um, <laughs> um, and, and that's where I met you. Um, so yeah, it's uh, serendipitous. It's amazing. I'm happy that you're here personally. Um, I'm happy that I know how to say your last name correctly now too. It's awesome. It's just part of the journey <laughs> of getting to know you. Um, um so how long ago was it that you moved to Vermont and, and, um, and are you, are you in Burlington? Yeah. So currently I live in Burlington. I've been here about three years. Um, soon after moving here, I met my current partner who is now my fiance. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I have to say that. Um, that's one. Thank you. Thank I, you. I ship your union. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so I was working in higher ed when I moved here. Um, I was just feeling really drained by the work that I was doing. I was working in um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and um, it was just feeling unsustainable for me at that time, um, which pushed me to explore other job opportunities, but also explore going back to school. Um, and I decided to go back to school. I love learning and I love um, being a student myself. Um, so I got my teaching license um, in middle school humanities. Um, and yeah, I decided to leave higher ed, go back to school, and then found myself teaching middle school. So still within the realm of education um, and just with a different age group kind of a different capacity as well. How, how do you find them, those uh, middle schoolers? How, um, what are your <laughs> remarks <laughs> about them? <laughs> you know, I have a lot of empathy for middle schoolers. Middle school is hard. You know, seeing middle schoolers in our building just navigate identity and friendships and family and love and loss. It just, it's really complex. And I, I do, I have a lot of compassion and empathy for um, folks going through the 11-year-old to 13-year-old stage of life. Um, it really brings me back sometimes too. You know, I remember those like little notes where you'd pass to somebody you may or may not have been interested in that said like, will you go out with me? Circle yes or no. And um I, I just really, I just have a lot of empathy for middle schoolers. I still see those notes. They haven't gone away. Um, yeah, I, I, I do. I love my students so much. They really, they give me so much life and they help me see things in, through different perspectives. And um, yeah, I just, I learn so, so much from the students that I work with. And um, 
yeah, I feel like I've truly found work that um, brings me so much joy and that really sustains me. Um, I also recall the fortune tellers. Yep, those are still around. And did you ever write mash notes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, a lot of the other boys did not, uh, but I did. I was proficient in those things. Um, we would have been friends in middle school. We, we would have been, been friends. We probably would have hung out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, as a teacher, um, in this, uh, I mean, I would go out on a limb and say that sort of similar to Hudson, New Hampshire and other places, um, this area, Chittenden County, the whole state of Vermont, um, mm-hmm. is a, is a homogenous space, right? Meaning quite white, you know, and, uh, I will admit that I sort of like my notion of the culture around here um, before moving here, which was, you know, a long time ago, um, was quite liberal and like, you know, queer friendly at least. But in the homogeny and after you live here for a certain amount of time, you notice how, you know, straight it is and how like there is certainly like a queer presence but you know the culture is still what it is and it's it's overwhelmingly straight Mm -hmm. can you speak to your experience as a queer um black woman and an educator in in this area yeah so you heard me say, like, I, I love my work and I love my students, um, but I will also admit that being a queer Black female educator is really exhausting. Um, and I'm, yeah, it is tiring. <laughs> um, I don't know how, what more I can say other than um, it's, I, again, fall back into being the only one and um, just the fatigue that comes with that. Um, I I am out at work. Um, the kids know that I'm queer. The kids know that I'm a woman of color. Um, I am the only woman of color teacher or educator in my building. Um, and maybe one of two queer people in the building. Uh, so yeah, it can definitely feel isolating at times. Um, and I think what has helped me um, kind of navigate the fatigue is just connection. Um, what I don't always get at work, I seek out in other places. Um, so I'm still really close with the group of friends that I described earlier from grad school. Um, you know, leaning on my partner has been immensely helpful. Um, yeah, just calling a friend, going for a walk with a friend. I just, I really appreciate and value my community, my tribe so much. Um, and that is what allows me to rest and to heal and to show up again at work, um, to do the hard and necessary work. Um, yeah. 
Wonderful. Um, well, I'm glad that you have a strong support system. That's very important. And everyone needs that, but especially queer Black folks. Um, so I'm happy that that is something that you have. Do you have hope for uh, our current, our new administration? Um, and, if, and if so, why? And if not, why? Do I have hope? I have some hope. Um, representation matters, and um, it really brought me joy and excitement to see our first Black, first South Asian, first woman VP um, watching Amanda Gorman. She stole the show. She was just so bright. She's such a queen. Um, she brought a, such a big smile to my face. Um, I just love seeing all the brilliance and resilience that she radiated on that stage. Um, I even showed my students it uh, more than once and I made them write about Amanda Gorman and her work on the inauguration day. Um, so I, I have some hope uh, for sure, but I also am recognizing that there's so much work to be done and we, we, we as Black folk, as people of color, as queer folk, we need to heal. We need space to um, restore ourselves. We've been through so much as a community and as people. Um, and I, I hope for healing. I hope for connection. Um, yeah, I would be hope for resources to be allocated in new and different ways. Um, to support and sustain um, BIPOC and queer communities. I entirely agree. And I will not ask <laughs> if we think Joe Biden can get us reparations. <laughs> you know what? I am calling on Joseph Biden to pay off some of my student loans. We spend some time talking about my academic path. And um, my student loans are steep. And I am just hopeful that he is going to write me a check someday in the next four years for me to um, give to FedLoan. <laughs> yes, I, yeah, I am waiting for Joseph Biden to make that happen. Call on you, Joe. Um, yeah. As you should. I mean, that is literally the least they could do. Um. <laughs> the least. The least. <laughs> Some folks have not gotten their first or second stimulus check. So what does Black queer culture in Vermont look like to you? Hmm. Black queer culture in Vermont. Um, for me, Black queer culture is seeking out my people. <laughs> um, and yeah, just affinity spaces are so important to me. Um, having space and places to, to spread out, to express joy, to laugh, to really just authentically be myself unapologetically. Um, yeah, that is, I guess, that, that's what community here or culture here looks like to me. Um, where there are queer BIPOC spaces, I hope to be <laughs> always 
And when do you feel most brown and out? Mm. Always. I feel like sometimes in positive ways, sometimes in challenging ways, but um, both my brownness and my queerness are very salient in my life. And um, whether I'm consciously thinking about it or not, people remind me <laughs> um, sometimes in celebratory ways, sometimes in um, cha more challenging ways. But uh, yeah, I feel like I'm every time I leave my house, I'm very conscious of my brownness and my queerness. Um, and constantly working towards, um, yeah, standing in my power and just knowing my worth and not questioning myself, um, when others sometimes do. You ask when I feel most brown and out, yeah. and I feel most brown and out when I visit, visit Posh Nails, when my hair is done by Jackie, she's the best. Um, got these long braids, got my nails done, number 11. And yeah, I'm just feeling myself. I'm feeling brown and out when I visit my people in the community and they take care of me and I'm just feeling sexy these days. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, do you have anything else that you would like to add at this juncture? I just want to thank you for, um, creating the space for me to share my story. I appreciate anyone who's listening out there. Um, just having a platform or just having a, a space and a place to just talk openly and to share my story is, is really, really powerful for me. I've honestly um, never had a stage like this that really centered um, two really important parts of myself. So I'm just really grateful uh, for the opportunity to speak with you today and um, to share. Thank you right back. I appreciate your willingness to share. And um, I think you're wonderful. Thank you so much.